looking to get side of Bond. Lafondra away from David. 3-1 running. Three points running. Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Royals podcast in association with the Reading Chronicle. I'm here again with Matt Joy. How are you doing, Matt? Very well. Feeling very pumped up with that techno music on the new intro there. That's oh, really got, it's lovely, got me in the mood. It? Yes, done a good job with that. Yes, very well. Thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I've had better weeks <laughs> in a Reading context. Um, it's, not, it's not been a great one, has it? No, no, to, to put it bluntly, it's, it's not. I think... Um, I think last weekend, okay, you know, didn't get the three points, but I thought there was still there was still bright bits from the game. I thought it just lacked that, just that final little bit of um, composure in front of goal. I think if you'd have if that Reading had played that game earlier in the season when all the players were firing as they were, I think it would have been a relatively comfortable win. Uh, conversely, Wednesday night was a, a bit of a horror show, really, uh, all things considered. Um, Birmingham outfought, outplayed, outmuscled, and outperformed Reading. You know they, they were thought they were really good. Lee Bowyer clearly had put the fear of God into them, and they came out uh, came out like a team possessed. And Reading just put simply could not handle it. I thought they were really really good, but Reading were really really poor. Yeah, I agree with you on the Forest game. It's one that in the first seven weeks. We had the chances to win that game. And in some ways, the performances haven't really changed since that seven weeks. It's just the outcomes in those, you know, at the right end of the pitch and the wrong end of the pitch. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think especially uh, at the start of the season, there's a lot of talk about XG and all that sort of things. And not saying that there was a, a maybe a, a correct point there, but yeah, it was at the, at the start of the campaign, Reading was scoring with virtually every shot it felt like that was going on target. Whereas... Against Forest, it was Barn Door and Banjos came to came to mind. But um, yeah, there was there was positive things to to, to take from that performance. Um, but yeah, less so on Wednesday night. Yeah, the mathematics doesn't lie. You always revert to the mean or whatever the you know <laughs> podcasts were saying. So Birmingham, yes, they did outfight and outmuscle us. Was there things that were tactically wrong, or was it just that this was a bit of a new manager bounce meets? a team that aren't in the best of form? Like they've been picking up wins, but not necessarily playing that well. Uh, I think that perhaps the the plan that Reading had came out with, they simply couldn't put into action because of how Birmingham played. I don't necessarily think I disagreed with the formation or, you know, the, the lineup. I thought looking at the team sheet before the game, I thought that's a, that's a promising looking lineup, but just the way that Birmingham from the off were pressing Reading so high, it was so hard to see, Reading get getting the ball on the deck and, and you know moving it through the thirds and, and later on when Birmingham had ten or eleven men behind the ball, understandably so, you know clinging on for the result, there was just it never really looked like Reading unless they had an opportunity from a set piece that they were going to break through an open play. They were just staunch rear guard action from Birmingham and Reading just couldn't handle that. But I think the only the only area I I was a little bit disappointed in aside from. That would be, I thought the defensive display wasn't brilliant. I thought Birmingham didn't have a huge amount of chances and um, I thought a couple of the defenders looked like rabbits in the headlights a little bit when uh, coming up against Dukovic and Hogan, they threw themselves about and played that kind of old-fashioned style of football that I don't know whether it was a case of Reading weren't expecting, but it, it was certainly one that they didn't step up to at all. It was It was a... You know, a dominant display, and that—that that was, I think, the difference. It was just 
put simply, without without meaning to sound like I've got a very limited footballing IQ, I just I didn't. I think that is as, as basic as it can get. I think they just had more oomph. They had more, you know, anger. They had more. They looked like they wanted to perform, and and certainly one man who was very angry was uh, was Velko Panovic post match. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't particularly happy with the Nottingham Forest display, but he sounded pretty angry after the game at St Andrews. Yeah, it's 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 tough to sort of when you when you're tweeting out the the, the quotes and you, you're putting them into articles and stuff, you can only obviously say them as they as they come. You can't put in a tone of voice, you can't put in a any sort of measure of intensity. But I, I asked the first sort of. T- for three or four questions and throughout that all oh, I was being stared dead in the eye by Panovic which is which was a bit of a new one as well but the the tone of voice in his in his responses were clearly that of a, a very frustrated man um and I think one of the most telling quotes that, that came out from it was without meaning to misquote him but it was something along the lines of so far this season um the team have had a lot of praise you know from the media from supporters and a lot of excitement has built and he included himself in this. And now that you know, we've got to pay that back. And it it just seemed, without meaning to put words in his mouth, that he was kind of suggesting that, you know, it's not done yet. You can't just coast on the success and the and the praise that you've had early in the season. And I think that may have been what he was suggesting, although obviously, you know, you can interpret it however you like. That's certainly the the idea that I got from him. It was very much a man who thought, you know. You can't rest in your laurels, especially at this kind of type in the se- time in the season. Sorry, uh, you know when we get into the business end of the campaign. I always feel like Paunovic's press conferences are actually more for the players than they are for anyone else. He seems to be a very good man manager. Uh, I just wonder whether you think that those sort of messages are directed at anyone in particular in the dressing room, or whether they are just meant to be a general kick up the backside. I think it would probably be unfair for me, um, you know, good question, but I think it would be a little bit unfair obviously to put, you know, names in his mouth. I could certainly give my, you know, my perspectives on who I think in recent weeks has, has you know, dipped. I think Lucas Shell again, and looked like the frustration's got the better of him. Um, I think Liam Moore had a, had a bad game. I, I didn't think that, um, I didn't think any of the, the back line really, fullbacks didn't push forward. I thought that, Thought that Mate looked relatively bright. I thought Elise looked okay. Actually, I thought Elise looked quite good. He put some good set bases in, but I think there was just a that the it was just it looked like there was a bit of a, a lack of willingness to win ugly. And I think that you could probably pick out a, a number of the players who that could apply to. As for whether the press conferences are for the players, I think there's probably a, a touch of that. He's definitely after after big wins, you know, he's very complimentary. So I think it's only fair for him to you know, be as be as upfront as he can when, you know, the results aren't going their way. And normally, I, I would say he does do that. So after the disastrous midweek, do you think that we will go back to the 4-2-3-1 that kind of saw us have a bit more success earlier in the season? Obviously, I, I feel like we were more playing the 4-1-4-1, 4 one 4 Yeah, 4-4-2 diamond. Uh, let's go with 4-4-2 diamond. <laughs> Um, because of injuries and just the personnel we had. Some of those players seem like they're coming back now. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that the return of the 4-2-3-1 is probably most likely. What, what do you think? I would agree, yeah. As you said, it's, just, it's the formation that Reading have had the most success with this year. Obviously, 
Mate got his first start and had obviously played off the bench last weekend over Yasharia. Andy Renamota back in the squad on, on Wednesday. So you would have thought that stick with what you know. Um, uh, it would be interesting. The only thing I would say to that would be if we do play that, who starts up top? Because I think maybe over the last three games, if you just take those in, you know, on their own, you could probably make a case for Lucas Shaw dropping to the bench. Um, I think that George Pushkas has maybe just done a little bit more. Obviously, he got the goal uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think he, he he's he looked relatively good in the other games. But and then Lucas Shaw, he just seemed like he's dipped in in confidence, and perhaps he just looked a little bit jaded due to the, the sheer amount of games that he's had to play. So that would be my only query: is if you do go that. In, you know, if you do play in that way, would you want George Pushkas playing in the lone role up top? I would argue that he's not best suited for that. I think you get the best out of him with a strike partner. So, uh, yeah, I think it depends on what side of the coin you look at it. I, I think Reading will revert to that, but I would certainly, or I'm certainly interested to see how uh, how that that strike force lines up. You would expect, obviously, Ajari, Elise, and probably Mate to play in that three behind with Rinomota and, and Laurent a bit deeper, but it'll be be interesting to see if Reading do revert who uh, who gets the nod up top. Yeah, I think what I would say is that a lot of Reading fans' um, experience of Puskas as a lone striker was in Bowen's system where he really was a lone striker. There was almost nobody around him, whereas this Poundovic side seems like they get bodies forward a little bit quicker. Um, so maybe, maybe that'll be helpful. I guess the other question is uh, who comes into the defensive screen, um, whether McIntyre stays there or Rinomota drops out. And if McIntyre drops out, does he actually drop in centre-back or do we keep Holmes there? So there's a little bit of a reshuffle maybe around that defensive unit too. Yeah, I, I think I would probably be tempted. Uh, I think on, on recent form, I think McIntyre doesn't deserve to drop out the spot, uh, drop out the team, sorry. I think he's been one of Reading's most consistent performers in recent weeks no matter where he's played really um i think reading are missing michael morrison i think there's there's no there's no doubt about that i i would probably i think you've got to have renamoto next to Laurent purely because throughout the season they have looked probably the the most consistent part of the team you, you can very rarely say that reading have dropped points or, or even dropped goals as a result of of those two they you know they they bring so much solidity to that team that you would have thought that Panovic would want to um, want to put those two back in the midfield. I'd be tempted to probably drop Holmes to the bench, but based on nothing other than I think that Liam Moore, although he had a, a disappointing game on uh, on Wednesday night, I don't think you you probably want to take out your skipper um, on the basis of one you know touchy performance. I think McIntyre would probably be best off dropping back and. Um, I had to have you know Yeardom and, and Richards at fullback. I think Yeardom especially has been really, really good in recent weeks. Um I thought he was really good against Forrest. Obviously he got a goal and a, I think he got an assist against Wednesday. So yeah, I think he he deserves that right back spot. And then again, Richards, you can't really look past him. Yeah, I think it, it'll be interesting because obviously QPR at the minute are playing with Charlie Austin up top, who's a completely different threat to someone like bits. But they do have Lyndon Dykes. Um well, I'm not entirely sure where he plays across the front line, but he is one of the front three as well. He could offer something similar and, and, and bully more a little bit, maybe. 
Yeah, it's a it's a fair point, and I think. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, yeah, I, I mean that's a that's a very fair point. I think that Liam Moore. I, I would say that normally Liam Moore is up for the fight. You know, I, I would never normally doubt his ability to play against the more physical, uh, the physical strikers in the league. I think he's got a good balance of sort of strength, and he's got a good balance with the kind of pace that he can deal with some of the, you know, the nippier strikers. So I think it was an off day, but I wouldn't say that, oh, I, I would be worried against any sort of physical threat. You know, you look back at games like, I think, the Cardiff game early this season, I believe Liam Moore's playing that one with Kiefer Moore, who's six foot, who knows what, um, and yeah, dealt with him well. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to say that, okay, you know, I, I have no hope for Liam Moore against a, a physical front man. And equally, I think Holmes also didn't necessarily uh, rise, you know, rise his performance, raise his performance levels to the to the level required against the physical front men in midweek. So, if you if you are making that argument with Liam Moore, you've probably got to look at the same argument with Tom Holmes as well, just based on that game. Yeah, trying to listen to the BBC Radio Berkshire commentary of Moore versus Moore was a little bit difficult without the picture there. Um, <laughs> So this is obviously the last game before Reading get a week off with the international break. Uh, two players who won't be getting much rest are Moore and Pushgas. They're off to their respective international teams. Moore being called up for the first time by Jamaica. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Reading have always had a, a link with Jamaica. Well, not always, but over the last few years anyway. So it, it's, it's felt weird not to have a Reading player in that team. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Joby McEnough um, was a, a real stalwart of that team and yeah, you, you think that Liam Moore it's been a long time coming for him because his performance levels have, have normally been you know pretty pretty high he's Reading haven't had the best of seasons but Liam Moore's normally uh one of the most consistent performers or has been in recent years so good on him yeah it's good to see him get that get that uh get that cap under his belt I think I was surprised to see Tom McIntyre not going to the Scotland squad I, I did do a little article about it I think look at some of the names in there you think just for his flexibility, if nothing else, I think he's shown that he can play pretty much three separate positions on the pitch. And you know, a young, a young lad, and it's a bit, it's a bit of a surprise. And I think Omar Richards could also perhaps, uh, you know, perhaps argue that he he deserves a spot in the under twenty one side. But uh, yeah, no best wishes to Liam Moore. Hopefully, all is it all goes well with his debut, and uh, and hopefully George Pushkas can continue as he's got a relatively good record, I believe, for Romania, something like eight and twenty. So if he goes out, notches a couple more keep that uh, confidence level up, then um, only Reading can benefit. Yeah, I think with Tom McIntyre, it, it might almost be that it's counted against him, the fact that he hasn't really played any one position for too long this season. And we as Reading fans obviously know how good he is, but maybe maybe the scouts haven't really established that yet. Yeah, very fair point. And obviously Steve Clark in, in charge, perhaps there's a little bit of bitterness towards Reading. No, I joke, there's probably not. Um, no, no, there definitely yeah, is. I'm not saying anything, but um, yeah, no, he, he, you make a good point. And yeah, they, they may be looking for a bit more solidity. They perhaps Scotland are a side who don't let necessarily have the comfort of being able to uh, 
to experiment, given, yeah, put simply that the quality of their national side in comparison to the, some of their opponents. So yeah, it's a fair point, but um, I don't think it'd be long. Certainly, if, if McIntyre keeps up the form that he's shown in the last few months, for uh, to see him get a, get a, his first senior call up. So wrapping it up, what what is your prediction for Saturday? Do you think they'll go back to winning ways, or are you a little bit more skeptical? I. Uh... I, I'm going to say that Reading will win. Uh, one of my close friends, Nick Tunney, the guy who did my job before me, is a lifelong QPR fan, and I don't think I'll hear the end of it if I predict that Reading will do anything other than a win. So if he does listen to this, I've got to got to back the team. And no, I think that if Paunovic is true to his word, and you know that that level of anger was what was received in the dressing room, he said that you know what happens in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. But I suspect that the players got a bit of a you know what after the game so hopefully if they've reacted that well yeah i think it's a massive massive game if reading don't pick up three points you know that it's going to be a worrying international break um so yeah i'm going to say it's going to be a bit of a nail biter but i reckon 2-1 reading i think i'd take that scoring two goals recently feels like a bit of a challenge but <laughs> against fake hoops yeah it'll be easy right yeah anyway sure. <laughs> Thanks very much, Matt. Uh, next up, I talk to Loft for Words about the QPR side. I'm here with Clive uh, from Loft for Words. Uh, how are you doing, Clive? I'm good, mate. A bit better after last night's second half comeback. Um, but yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, QPR are starting to kick into a bit of form, aren't they? Or Well, they've, they've been in a bit of form for a while. Uh, talk us through how, how that's come about. Before New Year, things were going pretty terribly wrong for you. But since then, I think it's nine wins in 14 or something. It's all turned around. It has, yeah. Um, I think a lot of us were quite worried um, at Christmas. Um, you've got to look at the quality that went out of the team last year. Um, Ryan Manning went to Swansea. Grant Hall went to Middlesbrough. Bireze obviously went to Palace. We couldn't sign Naki Wells at the end of his loan. We couldn't sign Hugel at the end of his loan. Uh, Mark Pugh didn't um, sign on again. Um, so that's a hell of a lot of players um, to lose out of the team. Um, 45 goals went out of the team. Obviously, Bright to say Samuel's moved on since. So it always felt like it might be a struggle when you're recruiting, trying to replace players of that calibre on the budget that we've got. And before Christmas, it was looking pretty bleak. Uh, pretty bleak. Um, went on a 10-match uh, run of games without a win, of which the Reading home game was one. Um, and yeah, just didn't not enough goals in the team. Um, Lyndon Dykes and Macaulay Bond haven't really worked as signings. Um, and yeah, it's turned around since January. Um, we've changed formation and gone to a back three, which suits the defenders a lot more. Um, stops are pretty mediocre fullbacks getting exposed um, Charlie Austin's obviously come in which has solved the got a long way to solving the goal problem and um, Stephanie Hansen's come in from Fulham stiff in the midfield up he's been fantastic um, so just those additions in January and the change of formation have really spun it around for us uh, In that period you've, you've obviously won a lot you, you've lost a few games that maybe you should have won as well um, you don't seem to be a side that draws very much since January is that is that just fine margins, kind of like in in like uh, single game issues? I think so. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I Reading have, have obviously done okay this season, but the the schedule, the way it is this year with the shortened season, um, I, we, we've just really struggled to find consistency. We've particularly we've been particularly bad, and it's relevant to this game. Um, backing up on a Saturday after we've had to play Tuesday or Wednesday, I think we've won two, drawn two, and lost seven of those Saturday games after a midweek, and. When you compare that to when we've played after a break of eight days or more, um, we're unbeaten in six. I think we've won three and drawn three when we've had that week to prepare. Um, Mark Warburton always goes on about his time on the training ground with his team and uh, and stuff like that. He it, he it really gets his back up when <laughs> when the fixtures are as they are. So I think that's gone a long way to it. Some of the games we won could easily have gone another way. Uh, Brentford at home. Blackburn at home, we won sort of single goal margins and equally the games that we lost, you know, Huddersfield at home, we had an amazing chance to go 1-0 up which, and then it's a different game. Birmingham away, we were winning right through to the 82nd minute and I still don't really know what happened there because Birmingham are terrible. Um, so a lot of the games could have gone um, the other way. Almost every game we've played this season, bar maybe Swansea at home, Huddersfield away, two or three examples, every game we've played could easily have been the other the, score, the same score the other way around with with very little difference in the game. I just think that's that's the championship this year. Yeah, I think Reading fans know about Birmingham as well, so I wouldn't worry about <laughs> it. Um, so who are the real QPR? Is it this unbeaten kind of, well, not quite unbeaten, but decent form, or is it the pre-Christmas, or as I assume you're about to tell me, somewhere in the middle? Now, if you take, um, if you, I think if you took Stephanie Hansen back out of the midfield and took Charlie Austin back out of the attack, it would be the QPR from before Christmas. They they have made a big difference. Um, I don't know. We, the problem we've got is we we have over recent seasons been basically reliant on and beholden to whoever we've got on loan. Um, and if you get good loans like Naki Wells and Jordan Hugill, then you know the team goes. In that. And the same as it's doing now with Austin and Johansson. And then if you get maybe less good loans like Tom and Hemed, it goes, it goes in that direction. Um, it's a real shame that the signings of Bon and Dykes haven't worked at the moment. They may come good, I guess. Um, because that was a the sale of Eze gave us a rare chance to actually spend some money and own some strikers rather than loaning them. And for neither of them to have worked out is a bit soul-destroying, to be honest. Hoping Palace, Palace sell as A to AC Milan and we can have a crack with the sell-on fee and, uh, and try again. But at the moment, the real QPR pretty much depends on who's on loan to it. Well, as, as a part Scotsman, Lyndon Dykes has a, a, a little bit of my affection. That man wins everything in the air when he's playing for Scotland. Well, he does know. for... He does for Scotland. I mean, we could, to be fair, Lyndon played very well last night against Millwall. Um, so I'm hoping that it turns around. But yeah, we'd, we'd like a bit of Scotland, Lyndon Dykes. He looks a different player for Scotland. He looks sort of happy and confident. QPR, it's a little bit, I think the pressure and the, the long run without the goal seems to be getting to him a bit. He's kind of, he looks to be lacking a bit of confidence. Uh, one of your other players that Reading fans will be particularly interested in is Rob Dickey. Uh, having been a Reading player through the academy. How's he doing for you? Well, it's between him and the goalkeeper for the player of the year. I think the two of them are pretty much out in front of anybody and everything else. A um, few nervy moments at the start of the season, stepping up into the championship. He's not the quickest. Um, 
And at the start of the season, when he got caught out for pace, he had this tick of reaching out and grabbing sleeves. Um, should have given a penalty away at Coventry in our first away game. Did give away a penalty and got sent off at Barnsley in like our fourth away game. And um, yeah, we were like, mm, is this lack of pace going to be an issue? But he's very, very quickly adapted to the league and um, yeah, been absolutely outstanding for, for most of the season. And it's either him or Seni Dieng for, for player of the year for me. Um, stepped up seamlessly. Whether that lack of pace will deter you know, clubs higher up looking at him. Um, I don't know. I, I personally think he's he's great, um, particularly in this in this back three. It really suits him, Barbe and um, Device. Um, yeah, I very. I don't really have a bad word to say about him, and I'm surprised Reading let him go. Yeah, I think it's just one of those where he didn't really have a chance to break into the team with who we had there at the time, yeah. um, and that that's come come back to bite us a few times when you look at. Uh, Reading, Reading players. Uh, Tariq Fozu, obviously at Brentford now, doing very well. And then um, he's gone out of my head. Uh, the guy at Bournemouth, right back. Uh, we've got, we've got one or two like this as well. <laughs> yeah. Players yeah. that are in our players that are in our youth team. Um, well, even even Charlie Austin, ex Reading, and then we let him go, and he uh, he had to build his way back up, but he, he's done it now. <laughs> what what we wouldn't give to have someone other than Lucas Zhao scoring goals. Although now we've got. Yaku Mate back, it's not quite as much of an issue. Yeah, you see um, the thing with Jao, you know the thing with Jao, because I watched Jao quite a bit of Sheffield Wednesday and didn't think that much to him. Do you not think with him, I mean, not not anybody, I'm not saying I would, but do you not think with a midfield as good as um, Ijaria, um, what's his name, Elise and Josh Laurent, who's, who escaped out of our youth academy, do you not think anybody could play up front for Reading? Oh, that's a really interesting one. So conceptually, I think that that is true, but it hasn't been the case over the last couple of years. Um, uh, Mark Bowen designed a system that basically required Lucas Zhao to be up front. And then when he was out injured, it kind of all fell apart. And then this season, it's been a little more like that, but I think we still need that hold up play for some reason. Um, Yaku Mate being out was a real issue because he was the one that ran in behind when Zhao was holding up the ball. So those two play off each other quite well. Um, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one because on paper, Reading's midfield is very good, but it doesn't necessarily always fire. Yeah. Well, um, I'd, I'd take it over ours. <laughs> <laughs> well, so one of one of your midfielders I am quite interested about because uh, in January when Michael Elise was potentially leaving, uh, people were doing scattered scatter graphs of everyone in the championship and Elias Chair was up near Michael Elise. Is is you haven't mentioned him yet. Is is he just someone that kind of goes under the radar? Is his stats better than what he shows on a Saturday? Yeah, he's quality. He's he's a good little player. Um I mean obviously his height is the big thing with um with chair is little more than five foot two, although he disputes this. But um it says five foot two on the official website, and having stood next to him, he's not much more than five foot two. Um, but yeah, good player. Um, came up through the ranks, had a good loan spell, um, broke into our team, and has progressed. They've kind of, you know, been grooming him to replace Eze. Um, Eze's a bit of a once in a generation talent, so that's, that's a tall order, but he's very good. He's top scorer this year. Um, strong for somebody that's that small. He doesn't get shrugged off the ball. 
very rarely Touchwood gets injured. Um, you know, basically played every game this year. He's been rested a couple of times just lately. Um, Fadi criticism, he can hold on to the ball a little bit too long. He loves uh, he loves coming in off the left onto his right for a, for a long-range shot. And um, when he was at Stephen and John Lowe, he basically ran his own goal of the season competition. Some of the stuff he did there was ridiculous. Like, just not fair, him being in League Two. Um, and he he can be a little bit greedy in you know, always looking to get it onto his right foot for that shot. And uh, Charlie Austin's been letting him know in a, in a few recent games um, when he when he's gone for the shot instead of the pass. But so it's a minor criticism. I yeah, he's a he's a he's a lovely little player. Um, I'd expect clubs to be looking at him um, in the summer and beyond. So turning our attention to Saturday, you're obviously coming off that win against Millwall, um, second half comeback. What are you expecting? Uh, Saturday to be like you, you've said that maybe you're not the best coming off midweek games but is that momentum from the second half going to carry through or are you less um, enthusiastic about that? No clue absolutely no clue and I didn't really have a clue before but if last night has brought anything home it's like I really don't know what I'm talking about because if you look at my tweets in the first half and up to, up to half time I just felt like we got it massively wrong against Millwall we went big and physical thinking they were going to be big and physical and trying to deal with them at set pieces and they just weren't like that and they played rounders went two nil up should have been three i just felt like warburton got it wrong last night and had a bit of a bitch and a moan on twitter at half time and then obviously we've come back and won three two and made me look like a right ass um so i don't know apart from the like i say we do not back up well particularly when it's wednesday saturday we seem to really struggle with that and we have had a lot of games in this little clump between international breaks um so uh, yeah i'm not that confident based on that but honestly predicting qpr at the minute like who would have said that we'd beat brentford at home and then lose birmingham away and and stuff like that they're just they're a little bit wild at the minute so uh yeah i, I can't help you you probably know more than me <laughs> like i just I, I watch them everywhere and i just can't call them now you just they're impossible to predict what they're going to do well it's interesting because i think reading in some ways play to the opposition um Belko Panovic definitely sets the team up that way and that ends up with a lot of very close games um so yeah it's, it's anyone's game by the sound of it um you told me before that you're not going to give me a score prediction <laughs> kidding, yeah, do, do you have a score prediction <laughs> no I'm not kidding. I'm gonna I'm gonna dodge it and say something silly just because whenever I predict QPR are gonna win they never do which means that I have to predict that we're going to lose, but I don't like doing that. And I, you know, people give me a lot of grief for it. So I, I don't know. It is so hard to call because I really didn't fancy us at Bristol City uh, a fortnight ago with Nigel Pearson going in there, and we hadn't played particularly well in the previous game. Um, so I probably would have backed us to lose at Bristol City, and we were brilliant and beat them two nil, and best we've played all season. We then come out of that and go into Huddersfield at home, which looks a bit of a gimme given their away record. Lost 1-0, deserved to lose, only had one shot in the game. Came out of that, went 2-0 down at home to Millwall, came back and won 3-2. So like, score predictions for QPR at the minute are just a nonsense. What should, we do? Like, should we just say 1-1 and leave it at that? But I, I, I genuinely, even more so than normal, don't know. I think I'd probably take a 1-1 coming off the back of a defeat at Birmingham. But, you know... It, it, it's an odd season for many reasons, not just the fact that Reading have been on TV so much and neither of them have been the QPR match. 
<laughs> seems like Sky Sports. This is true, actually. Yeah. Yeah, Sky Sports are trying to make a rivalry that isn't really there. We've we've asked this question every year as well. Do you reckon they just literally go, "Oh, look, they've got the same kit," and, and put the game put the game on just for that? Or I just, yeah, pretty, I've never much. never understood why Reading QPR is on the telly every year. Although obviously and, not much. And they're slightly close together than most <laughs> yes, of our other sort of. Well, you wouldn't yeah. want to go from one to the other for fish and chips, would you? <laughs> it, it's so annoying as well because it's always on like a Thursday night in January, and we always <laughs> lose one 0 and it's always a horrible game because uh, we kind of feel that we kind of feel the same about you guys. So we can't we can't both <laughs> be losing these games one now. <laughs> well, I just remember I, I can't remember if it was the one somebody got sacked after a one nil QPR loss, and I can't remember which which manager it was. And then it was either the same game or a different one where Jamie Mackey came back and and scored in front of a well a very yeah, sparsely very populated sparse yes good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was not a good night. That was. I feel like we might. Did we get? Bad. Did we get Brendan Rodgers to sack at Reading back in the day? With a, I'm sure we beat Reading like four one at Loftus Road. One of Rodgers' last games, and uh, uh, you know what, whatever became of him, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I wish the Rodgers that was at Leicester could have been the Rodgers at <laughs> Reading. But trying to play that style of football with Alex Pierce at the back was just never going to work. True that. <laughs> well, I think that's a relatively good place to leave it on the back of a chat about all our defeats so uh and, and i've dodged the prediction which is what i came here to do so that's good yeah perfect um <laughs> well thank you very much clive uh you can go and read loft for words uh which is an excellent title if nothing else um <laughs> and uh good luck for the rest of the season but i'm, I'm hoping may- maybe not saturday yeah maybe not saturday well we'll see thanks mate thanks